Well, it's good to be with you all. I don't know many of you. I know some of you. But uh, I, I hope to encourage you today. Uh, are you teaching anymore? Uh, you've got a few more Sundays, Clay? Yeah. And Blake, Blake has a few Sundays. I've got a ring up here, sound guy, Les Gang, probably go back. Move up on stage. Is that better? Uh, Blake is uh, Tally's teaching, and uh, who, uh, James Krausen is going to teach a little bit. So I haven't really decided what I want to do. I've decided for this morning, so you can rest at ease there that he's not. But I haven't decided what I want to do. I think I have three Sundays with you, and I look forward to that. I, I, might, I might decide to teach through the first uh, three chapters of Genesis uh, I, I feel like if, if we understand the first three or four chapters of Genesis, we have a good basic understanding of the Bible. And so I might do that. Uh, I don't think I understand it yet, so we could struggle together with that. I might teach on some things, themes, great life themes like uh, gratefulness, stewardship, authenticity, things like that. So I'll take your requests. Let me tell you two stories. And I'm in Genesis 1, if you have your Bible. First story is about a two-year-old little girl. It's Christmas time. And uh, she has found a box that she fits in. And if, if uh, Susie would put the lid on this box, she could hide and couldn't be found. And she really liked that. But the problem was she was giggling and laughing so hard in the box that the, you could find her easily because the box, the box vibrated. And I think I've told you this story before, in part, but it applies to what we're talking about this morning. So when her older brother would tell her to go hide, and then he'd begin to count to ten, the box would be vibrating, right? And if he didn't come directly to her, if he said, hey, where are you? Hey, where are you? She would explode out of the box, knock the top off, and say, here I am. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you visualize that with little girls? So we would explain to her that this game is hide-and-seek, and you have to remain hidden, and then we'll find you. Eight, nine, ten. Here I am! She'd pop up. She show, so enjoyed being found. Catch that. She so enjoyed being found. She couldn't take it. She was, here I am, find me. I'm right here. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to see exactly the same story. Actually, it's at the end of, it's, um, it's after chapter 1. It's going to be in chapter 2. I'm going to have to look at my notes because this is a really cool Bible, but it's brand new and I don't have anything underlined. Verse uh, 25, the very last verse of chapter 2. And Adam and his wife were both naked and what? Shame. Felt no shame. So this little girl stands up her only thought is, I want to be found, and they want to find me. 
right? That's a great, great example of no shame. Got it? Science tells us through numerous studies, we first begin to feel the idea of shame at our mother's chest. And it goes like this. For the first little while, mom and baby have incredible face-to-face eye contact. The mother coos softly in high, soft tones to the baby. The baby coos back. They don't break eye contact. There's no, oh, this is too close. It's very close. They're sharing life with each other. They're giving to each other. All kinds of chemicals are involved for both of them. There's no blinking. Then the phone rings. Mom picks it up. Hi, I know. Can you believe that? Oh, my gosh. And breaks eye contact. Breaks that moment. Eh, first time, no big deal. Babies are resilient. They hang tough. Repeat times 100. And babies begin to realize, I thought it was me and mom. But now I realize that phone rings, and whatever that noise is, and whatever happens there, breaks our bond. Studies show that at about the hundredth time, babies quit looking at mom. It's too scary. It's too scary to be that close to someone that turns away with me when that little thing rings. It's too exposed. And they get introduced to the idea of shame, which is, I have a longing, I have a desire, and it's not getting met. What's wrong with me is what we do with that. And babies can't formulate all this, but translate that into an eight- or nine-year-old girl who goes to school on the first day of school, and she doesn't have the right clothes. Somebody makes fun of her, or her hair's flat when this is the fuzzy hair year. Or in my case, I went to fourth grade at a new school, and apparently white socks weren't cool at this new school. Where I was from, athletes wore white socks. But when you go to La Grande, Oregon in 1964, apparently white socks aren't cool, and I got teased mercilessly for white socks. So pretty soon, I don't want to go out to recess, right? Pretty soon, I don't even want to go to school, right? So I get rid of the white socks, and uh, I go to school without the white socks. So they start making fun of me because of my teeth. So I can get my teeth fixed, and by sixth grade, my teeth are fixed. I've got the sock issue fixed, but I've realized they still tease me. It's not about the teeth, the socks, the hair, the hips, the height, the smile, the humor. It's about me. Something's wrong with me. Are you with me? And that's the idea of shame. If you don't understand this, there's... There are two primary things that we get confused for a while uh, until we understand them. Guilt says you've done something wrong. I stole a pencil 
I did it wrong. I feel guilty. And then I lied about it, guilt on top of guilt. Shame is there is something wrong. I'm bad. I'm defective. I'm flawed. I'm not enough. I don't measure up. I'm different. Somehow I'm odd. Adam and Eve and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. You okay? Everybody breathe a little bit. (sighs) How many of you know, have felt shame? How many of your grandmas said shame on you? How many of you did something wrong and grandpa looked at you and went, How many of you have felt like, if I wear that thing to church, they won't like me, so I changed something? You felt shame. How many of you say, no, I'm not going to go to the gym because I'm too whatever. I won't be accepted. I'll feel exposed. You know what shame is. How many of you decided that humor is the best way to make friends? You know what shame is. How many of you have been bullies? Then you know what shame is. Because hurt people hurt people. Bullies are hurt people who hurt people. How many of you have been bullied? Then you know what shame is. How many of you have ever got angry at a situation that was less than righteous? Then you know what shame is. Somebody touches a sensitive button inside of us, a scary place inside of us that somehow whispers, Mark, you're not enough. And there's really no way out, and we come at them. I'll show you who's enough. Or I'll show you who's enough. Or I'll show you who's enough. Or I'll show you who's enough down at the coffee shop. We feel shame, and so we shame back, because we hate to feel shame. Another story. You with me? Another story about a little boy. This happens to be my son. His name is Kyle. When he was about five years old, I believe, he used to love to dress up like a cowboy. Now, mind you, we lived in the Seattle area, so there weren't a lot of cowboys driving around with... uh, feed trucks, and round bales on the back. But he's seen man from Snowy River. Wow. When I was a child, I used to watch Sea Hunt. And do you remember Sea Hunt, where he'd be underneath some of you older fellas, underneath the water, scuba diving, and he'd be in a fist fight? Don't remember that? Maybe they didn't have Sea Hunt here. Did they have Gilligan's Island here? Yes. Now we're getting somewhere. His hero was the man from Snowy River. So eventually over time, through goodwill and, and whatnot, we, we got him some boots, some shaps. We got him the vest, the sheriff bag, and then badge. And then Christmas comes, and he gets a flannel shirt. And then pretty soon he gets a hat. And, man, he's got the whole getup in Seattle. 
he and his mom would go down to the store at, at 10 o'clock in the morning on weekdays, and he would get all the positive affirmation that uh, you get. Oh, look at that cute little boy dressed up like cowboy. Howdy, young fella. He'd say howdy back. He'd ride the little horse that you put in a quarter for. He even named it Thunder, and he'd ride the horse. He wore that a lot. He got a lot of strokes for wearing that. One day, his two older sisters, who are six and eight years older than him, respectively, were out playing jump rope uh, on, uh, uh, near the mailbox by the street. I think they were hoping that the junior high boys would ride by. Well, soon, pretty soon, the bike gang comes by, full of the junior high boys, and they see the two cute girls, and they say, whoa. So they begin circling in the road, kind of long circles, tighten up. So they're trying to figure out how to talk to my daughters, right? But they can't quite figure out how to say, Hey, how are you guys? Can we play jump rope with you? Because that's real difficult to say when you're in junior high and you feel shame. You've been laughed at before, so you don't want to risk it. So you just play it safe and you circle your bikes with your buddies, right? Can you see that? Well, my daughters were out and these guys were circling. And Kyle, in his Cowboy Kyle outfit, sees two junior high boys. In his, or these, these junior high boys. So he strolls out. Now, I was in the garage working on something, and I see him come out with his Cowboy Kyle outfit on. Hey, there he goes out to the street. And I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. I wonder if he's going to, what he's going to do. He was a sensitive boy. I knew he wanted to connect with his sisters. I didn't think he would want to connect with the, the older boys. But he stands by the mailbox. <laughs> and they, you probably see where I'm going with this. They notice him. And they don't know how to talk to the girls, but they know how to make fun of little boys. You with me? Hurt people hurt people. So in their attempt to get my daughter's attention, they began to make fun of Kyle to break the ice. Well, at first, he's like, yeah, and they're pretty soon, hey, cowboy hat, howdy, partner. After a few moments, he realizes this is not friendly fire, or this is friendly fire. They don't mean this nicely. They mean it meanly. They're making fun. I saw from my garage his head drop out by the street. He hung out for a minute, if that. Came back in, walked up the hill, walked past me. Hey, hey, where are you going? To the bedroom. So I gave it about a 10 count and uh, composed myself and chose that I didn't want to go out and, and in broad daylight at least, murder junior high boys. Because I have felt shame in my life and I know how sharp the sting of shame is. And my sons just felt that because of them. What dad wouldn't want to go out and do some work, right? But then I got in touch with the fact that my shame is wanting me to go shame them simply because I'm bigger and I can do it. I grabbed a hold of that and said, use your awareness of your shame here, Mark, to go heal something instead of hurt something. So I walked inside, feeling my own shame, feeling my own sense of repentance, 
Found Kyle in his bedroom down the hall, sitting on the floor. His boots are here, his vest is here, his hat's over there. Hey, hey. I saw what happened out there. Yeah. That kind of felt bad, huh? Yeah. Boys were making fun of you, weren't they? Yeah. I'm sorry, Kyle. Yeah. What you doing? Changing into my baseball outfit. I like that outfit. Yeah. Want to go play catch? Yeah. I'll meet you in the backyard. And so we did. Cowboy Kyle was never seen again. Never seen again. What's your story of that? Sir, what's your story of that pain? I've got several. One is when we're, and I, I may have told you this before because it so impacted me, it's when I decided cute girls don't like me. I was coming home, and as parents do, they threw all the, in those days, they threw all the kids in the back of the Chevy Travel Travel All. Remember that thing? All the seats come out, and they throw pillows and sleeping bags back there with a bunch of pre-adolescent, pre-hormonal kids. Somebody, the cool kids, decide they want to kiss each other, but they're sitting on the other side of the van. So they come up with this game. We'll put the girls in the middle. Don't act, look at me like you've never done this. You're looking at me like, I don't know what that guy. We're in fifth grade, right? So it's automatically a stupid story. The girls get in the middle and they decide, kiss the boy in front of you, then we'll rotate. Kiss the boy in front of you, we'll rotate. And I think the idea was that older boy and cute girl, I think they were just kind of work their way around. Well, I got my eye on one little girl. She's kind of the cute girl next door. Me, Get to kiss her? This is my lucky day. Nothing like this ever happens to me. I'm sitting, I remember the moment very clearly, I'm sitting in the back right-hand corner of this van right by the taillight. Because moments of shame get anchored in us. I don't remember what I had for breakfast that day. I don't remember the rest of the ride home, and I don't remember really what happened prior, but I remember this moment when the girl was to my right, and they switched, and it was her turn to be in front of me, and she skipped me. It's at those points in life that we write sentences across our heart, never again. And then we come up with strategies to keep from having that happen ever again. I call those fig leaves. I don't know what you call them, but I call them fig leaves. You see, when I was in high school, I, I wrestled 101, 101 pounds. The killer. The world trembled when I stepped onto the mat. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and following. Well, let me just skip down because you know it. 
Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid. Earlier, we have in the last verse of Genesis, naked and unafraid, right? Naked and they felt no shame. Now they've eaten the apple, if you will. And they hear God coming. And they hid amongst the trees. But the Lord said, where are you? And like this little girl, they didn't pop up and go find me. Because eventually that little girl will realize that that's a fun game, but eventually they don't come. They move on. Eventually we learn nobody's really looking for us. And then we develop strategies. I know how I can get them to look for us. I know how I can be found. And we develop strategies for living to not feel shame or what I'm going to call fig leaves. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked. And so I hid. Who told you you were naked, so on and so forth? Adam and Eve then had then sewn fig leaves together to hide. Folks, when we feel exposed, we sew fig leaves together to hide. We cover up. I don't know how you cover up, because this story is not about fig leaves. This had been passed down for three or 4,000 years, depending on how you do your anthropology of humans. And by the time Moses and his crew decided to get it down, they had already learned that story is not about fig leaves. And it's not about physical nakedness. That story is about when we feel like we are seen, we blink. When we feel like somebody knows us, it gets uncomfortable and we blink. When we feel like somebody sees through me, we blink. And because we don't like that, we say things like, quit trying to psychologize me. Quit being a shrink. I already got a counselor. Because we feel shame. And instead of going, wow, that's a good point. Let's talk about that. No, or I don't think so, or whatever. We shame back. Here's some shame on you, baby. Shame back to you. How does that feel? And shame doesn't feel good, so we always back up. One of my ways to make life work served me pretty well, although not very authentically, for a number of years. Being young and small in school, I learned by accident that if you could be tough and fast, and if you could be the little dog that always took on the big dog, you got lots of attention. And they quit teasing you about your teeth because you might go crazy. And so this was a nickname given to me in high school. And when I got this cup about 10 years later, when I got this cup about 10 years later, I'm only 28, 29 years old. I don't get it all yet. And something inside of me said, yes, they bought it. That's my fig leaf. I don't want you to see the scared mark. I don't want you to see the mark that cute girls don't like. 
I don't want you to see the mark that feels a lot of shame about a lot of things. I'm going to let you see this mark. Mad dog. Skis fast, climbs fast, has, speaks in front of people. Wild man. And I go, that's where, what's your deal? Have you found life works for you by being an academic? Have you found that you can not feel shame, but you can cover up by being an arse? People stay away. Have you found that you can cover up by being contrary? Wow, what a nice day. Well, not really, that wind. Have you found that you can make life work by being better than everybody else through gospel? Have you found that you can make life work by getting people to like you, by manipulating people, by being nice? Have you found that you can make life work by keeping your hair just right, by dressing just right? Have you found you can keep life working for you by being in a position of authority? This Sunday morning, all over the world, there are people who never had any influence, never had any power, and in junior high they have been the geeks or the nerds. But they go to Bible school, and we give them a microphone. And when they speak, people be quiet. When they say, let's pray, 3,000 people bow their head. My goodness, they've never had that, much kind of, that kind of power before in their life. In their life. And they can hide behind this. And they can hide behind the deacons and the elders put me here and I'm trained for this. But in their hearts is, I've made it. I'm going to hide behind being a pastor or being a theologian or being whatever it is. Where do you hide? Humor? What's your fig leaf? What's your way to cover up I'm odd, I'm not enough, I'm different? I don't want to be found out. I'm somehow flawed because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you I feel those things. If I'm not careful, I can feel those things. I can feel it this morning. There's 50 of you looking at me. There's that little 10-year-old boy inside of me that is saying, they like you. If they don't like you, tell another nice story. There's, there's a voice inside of me of shame that says, try to manipulate them so they'll like you. I feel it as I put my sweater on this morning, to put the sweater on or not. Does it look nice? And that's important, unless it's a fig leaf to cover my sense of shame. Do you connect with that? Fitness can be extremely healthy exercise. We applaud people, or it can be a way to cover shame. And the list goes on. Every shadow has a good side. Every good side has a shadow. You may be really smart, but that intellect can be used to do a lot of damage. Or it can be used to cure cancer. Maybe you hide behind shyness. Maybe a message like this stirs something inside of you because you like your religion to be comfortable and not get too close. So maybe you say, you walk around saying, oh man, get to know me. I'm an open book, it's just me. But somebody actually tries to get to know you and asks you a question, and it's like, well, change it, talk about the weather. 
Talk about the condition of the roads. Let's keep it safe. Religion is a great way to not be known. Religion is a great, absolutely fantastic fig leaf that many are playing this morning. Here's the problem with religion, and I'll close on these last few thoughts. Religion treats God as if God is outside of us. And we say things like, I need to invite God into this place. And we say words like, I need to meet with God. And we have language like, it's my prayer time. Or we have language that says, I want to be open so God can come in. I've got the text. You can read them in 2 Corinthians. But folks, I want to tell you loud and clear, God is not out there. God's already in. God's already here. So if I were to come up here and say, you must do these things, you must, and you've heard me say this at least every time I speak, you've got to do more and try harder. Pray more, God will be happy. Read more, God will be happy. That's religion. That's an attempt like a little boy to say, I'm not enough. I just got to please this really impetuous, unpredictable God. If he wants me to read more, or maybe I'll, I'll just pray enough. I put enough quarters in, I'll get the gumball. God's here. So you don't have to do this to pray in a private place. And folks, they can never take prayer out of school. Never. Never. So stop worrying about it. You can't take prayer out of school. Because prayer happens here. Because God lives here. And we put fig leaves on to cover up. And all we do is cover up God that's already in here. We don't hide from God. Can't hide from God. We used to think we could, but not anymore because he's here. So don't quit. So let's quit trying to be something and put on stuff. And I need to do devotions. I need to read my Bible more. I need to give more. I need to do all these other things more. Let's just let God out. Be you. Be you. But the problem is, when we are us, then shame whispers. You're not enough. No, don't be you. Do not be you. Be anything but you. Do things for people so that they'll like you. Dress so that they'll like you. Act cool so they'll like you. Play mad dog so that they'll like you. Be a professor so that they'll like you. Get accepted by being different. Get accepted by being an arse. Get accepted by... And that's a temptation. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he went to the cross, and you'll remember this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Remember the next part? Despised the shame. Isn't that interesting? They threw shame on him. You're the son of God. They spit shame on him, and he despised it, bounced off. Heal yourself. Despised it. Call the angels. He despised it. Folks, I want to tell you this definitively, that the Christian life is not about doing Christian things. The Christian life is about you being you. And that's the scariest thing possible for most of us, because some of us have spent 50 years just being a good old boy. Just be a good old boy. Keep it about the weather. Keep it about the roads. Keep it about 
the hay, keep it about the cattle, how's your mama? We've spent a lifetime hiding behind nice guy. We don't really know who we are. And then God comes and says, I'm going to live inside you. And we go, great, I'll keep performing out here and I'll pray. And aren't you happy? He go, whoa, I'm already here. Already happy. I'm already thrilled. I want to hang out with you, not your mom's version of you, not your dad's version of you, not your church's version of you, not your, not your anti-everything version of you. Not the Buddhist version of you or the Muhammad version. I want to hang out with you. And Christianity is the only religion that wants you to be you. Take the fig leaf off. Drop the fig leaf. Have the courage to be naked in front of God. Because he's already on the inside. Fellowship and Clay and I, I don't know if there's any of of us there. Clay and I meet at a secret place at a secret day with four or five other guys. And we try to be naked with each other. And we try to applaud the courage. We all want that kind of friendship. We all want that kind of relationship, but it simultaneously scares us to death because if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. And the gospel says, I already know you and I love you to death. Did you hear it? The gospel says, I already know you and I love you. Yeah, but you don't know that because look how nice I dress. (laughs) Mark, I know. And I love you. But I'm mad dog. That's how I make life work. And inside he chuckles. (laughs) You only think so, Mark. How about that broken foot bone that you have? How's that working for the mad dog? Well, it's a little frustrating, but I can still do it. And he chuckles. One day you'll drop that. And you'll just be yourself. And I'll love you then, too. What would it be like, folks, if we lived naked, open with God and with each other? And unafraid with God and with each other? Yeah, but you don't know my secrets. Oh, yeah, you, you like to think you're all alone in that. You're the only guy who's done that. Wow. You're the only person that's had 15 whatevers, and you keep doing it again, and you hope no one sees, and you've never told anyone. Yeah, you're the only one who's ever done that. And we get really arrogant about my stuff stinks worse than anybody else's. I'm going to keep it. And God, you shut up. Shut up. That's why I won't go to that conference. And God whispers, dude, you're not so weird. Come listen to Clay's story. (laughs) Thank you, Meredith. Right? (laughs) Come listen to Mark's story. Your stuff's not that bad. Your stuff's not that scary. But you like to think it's that scary because then you can stay safe. Long after childhood, Folks, the cute girl liked me, but I still feel stuff like that. You with me? Even though the cute girls already like me, this childhood stuff still haunts me. You want to sing, Squeeze, Susie? I mean, Clay, can I borrow this? Thank you all. We're going to dismiss after this and and, uh, go home and... Try to look out for your fig leaves.